Okay, so we're in the series on overwhelm, things that overwhelm us, things that, that keep us stuck, things that keep us from growing and being all that we can be and are called to be in Christ. This morning I want to talk about depression. Uh, and I'm not just talking about the kind of occasional blues that we all go through or the sadness we sometimes uh, struggle with. Uh, in a fallen world like ours, having the blues sometimes and struggling with some sadness is pretty normal. All right. I'm talking about the kind of a chronic thing where it's almost part of your identity, where there's this, well, there's just, you're just depressed, you're deflated, you, you have trouble getting out of bed in the morning, um, you don't seem to look forward to anything, nothing really interests you much. There's this, this pervasive melancholy, and it could be something that you go through patches of, or for some folks, it seems like it's a nonstop thing all their life. That's what I'm going to be talking about. Uh, the irony is, or the interesting thing, is that in the Gospels we're promised joy. Uh, a joy that, that the world can't give. And so the, the, the question then is, uh, given this promise of joy, why is there this depression? And what can we do about this? All right, so I, I want to read it from a couple passages in the book of John, where Jesus talks about joy. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Talking to his disciples here. Now, remain in my love. That word remain there is, is in Greek, it's meno. And it means to abide in, take up residence in, uh, to, to make it your permanent address. Okay? So it's, it's to just be surrounded by, permeated by, filled with uh, the, the love of the Father. And he says, if you keep my commands, you'll abide in my love. You'll live in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And I've told you this so that my joy, apparently Jesus has got this unique kind of joy, my joy may be in you so that your joy may be complete. Fullness of joy. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And so this is the command that we're to keep. So what he's saying is live in this love, be filled with this love, and you'll overflow with this love towards others. And so now you're keeping the command. You're receiving it and giving it, and that's the center of everything. And that is, Jesus is saying, the key to joy. That's his joy, and he wants to give his joy to us. At another spot, he says this in John 17. I'm, I, he's praying here. He says, I'm coming to you, Father, now. But I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy in them. The full measure of it. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world anymore than I am of the world. Father, anoint this message and set captives free by the power of your spirit. By the power of your word, just impregnate it with your authority in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay. Um, Jesus is here, obviously, giving us a unique kind of joy. It's a, it's a joy that's not based on circumstances. Uh, he says to his disciples, the world's going to hate you. You're going to be persecuted. There's stuff you're going to go through. And yet, this joy, his joy, he says, can be in you. It will abide in you. All right? Now, I want to look at a, a video clip here. That It's of a movie that I am quite sure most of us have seen. If you have kids, I'm certain that you've seen it probably a dozen times or more. Uh, it's the movie Frozen. That's a great show. And uh, the scene we're going to look at is the scene where Anna uh, is out in this windstorm that's created by her sister Elsa, who's got this ice frozen magic. And it's created this storm all over the place. And, and, and uh, Anna has been struck with this ice magic in her heart, so she's slowly turning to ice. And the only thing that can set her free is an act of true love. 
And, and we're all thinking that that true love is going to come from Kristoff, who's this hunky mountain guy that she's been hanging out with. And, and, and so in the middle of this windstorm, Kristoff is looking for her, and she's looking for Kristoff, and Elsa's out there because she's looking for Anna. And, and, and then Anna sees Kristoff running towards her, uh, but then she has a very important decision to make. So let's watch this clip. That was one of the saddest shows I've ever seen. <laughs> Anna frozen forever, and she'll never sing again. Do you want to build a snowman? It was so cute the way she did that. She'll never play with Olaf. Never know true love with Kristoff. Frozen as a statue throughout all time. It's, it's so tragically sad. And I suppose we had to teach kids the lesson that life doesn't always turn out well at some point. But Okay, if that had been the actual end of the movie, it would be a very, very sad movie. Would you agree? Uh, I doubt it would have been one of the most beloved and watched children's movies of all time. If that had been the actual end of the movie, I think we'd have a lot of kids in therapy right now. Okay, so there's more to this story. There's more to the story, as Paul Harvey used to say. Now let's hear the rest of the story. Let's run it. Yay! It's a happy ending. It's a happy ending. It runs, you run it past that frozen on a scene, and it turns out love will unfreeze a frozen heart and eternally, apparently a, a, a frozen city. And, and, and so she goes on, and they all live happily ever after. Her and Kristoff, I'm sure, get together, and, and everything's just wonderful. Which just goes to show this point. Where you end a movie is all important. Right? Where, you, where you stop a movie is all important, and then realize this. We're all movie producers, and we're running movies constantly in our mind. It's called thinking. Okay, I'll come back to that point uh, in a little bit. Just lock that in. So the teachings of Jesus, let's go back to that. Uh, the joy that he's offering these, these, his disciples, his joy, is not based on fortunate circumstances. Because he tells them that they're going to have hardships and the world's going to hate them. And they know that they're going to be out there in a hostile environment preaching this gospel and they could face persecution and rejection and martyrdom, as actually happened to 11 out of the 12 uh, first apostles. Uh, and yet that joy is given to them. So it's a joy that's not based on circumstances. It's also clearly a joy that's not incompatible with having sorrow and grief. Jesus tells them that they're going to have sorrow and grief two chapters later. And yet the joy he's talking about is something that is deeper than sorrow and grief. It's, it's a pervasive sense of well-being that, that comes from one thing and one thing only. And that is uh, you're abiding in the love of God. The love of God defines you. You understand that you're loved by God and are filled with, with, with that love, and you're overflowing with that love towards others. Uh, it's, it's knowing that this love that, is, that you have from the Father through Christ, is, is, it's not a wavering kind of love. It's not a circumstantial kind of love. It's not a conditional kind of love. It's not a temporary kind of love. It's the love of the eternal God who has no beginning and has no end and in whom there's no shadow of turning. Uh, to know that love means that you, you understand that this goes on forever. This is the always victorious love of God. It cannot be quenched, cannot be destroyed. It's, it's the love we sang about earlier, the love of the lion and the lamb, the love that's manifested on Calvary. To abide in that love, to live in that love, to let that love define you, that is synonymous with having eternal life. You know that nothing can end this. It's, it's a love that is stronger than death, stronger than sin, it's stronger than condemnation, stronger than any kind of judgment stronger than in any hardships we might go through. It's stronger than the devil himself. 
It's it's, it's greater than any circumstances. It's a kind of joy, this pervasive sense of well-being that you can't get from having fortunate circumstances, so you can't lose by having unfortunate circumstances. Having fortunate circumstances can make you happy, as long as those circumstances are going well, but they can't give you joy. The one thing that can give us joy is abiding in the always victorious love of God, being filled with that love. And that's the joy that Jesus has and the joy that he gives disciples as we abide in that love and to know that it goes on forever and ever and ever. This is why one of the most celebratory passages in the entire New Testament is Romans 8, starting with verse, uh, I think it's 39, 35, and it goes to 39. Paul says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And he's asking a rhetorical question there. The answer is no, they can't do it. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. So those things can happen. But here's the good news. Knowing all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That, folks, is good news. I sometimes hear preachers talk about we're more than conquerors, and they they take it to mean that we're not going to have to go through any of these things, that we're above these things. But see, Paul assumes that all the things he mentions in this passage are things that can happen to us. We live in a fallen world that is spiritually oppressed, and in this world, you may have hardships, you will have trouble, you can go through persecution. Sometimes people find themselves without food, they're in a famine. Sometimes they find themselves homeless and they are naked. Sometimes people find themselves being put to the sword and they're slaughtered like sheep all day long. That can happen in this fallen world. And, and the powers that he talks about, the demonic powers, they can hassle you, and, and nasty people can hassle you, and diseases can hassle you, and uh, you know, nasty, terrible things can happen in this world, and you are, if the Lord doesn't come back, it's certain that you're going to die. Sorry, you're not getting around that. There's no avoiding that. To be more than a conqueror doesn't mean that we, have a, we escape those things. That's not the good news. The good news is that while we may go through those things, nothing but nothing but nothing but nothing, did I say nothing? Nothing can separate us from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus. We will abide in that love, and that love is always victorious, and that's why we're more than conquerors. Because those things don't define us, and they can't defeat us. We know that the story goes on. Yeah, there's hardships. Yeah, there's trouble. Yeah, there's persecution. There may be disease, maybe a lot of tragedy, and it's normal to be sorrowful about that, but the story doesn't stop there. The love of God abides forever and ever and ever and ever. And if that's the source of your joy, and it's the only thing that can give us joy, then that means your joy goes on forever. You can have a pervasive sense of well-being in the midst of all that this world has to dish out. In the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the nightmares, in the midst of the tragedies and all of that, yeah, there's sorrow, but there's something deeper than that, and that is this well-being that comes from knowing the true love of God, the always victorious love of God, the unending love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. So, so Jesus' life illustrates this, as you'd expect, since it's his joy that he's talking about. He wants to give us the full measure of his joy. And so here's a passage that we read last week, Hebrews chapter 12. It says, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Jesus is the perfect model of the faith that we're aspiring towards. He's our leader. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, And then he sat down at the right hand 
of God, the, 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 the throne of God, in a place of honor. Talked about that last week. If you weren't here, I encourage you to get that message. Um, here Jesus is, is looking at the cross. He knows he's going to be crucified. As I shared last week, the Romans designed crucifixion for maximal torture and maximal shame. It was absolutely humiliating. But Jesus disregarded that shame. He considered it nothing, as we shared last week. And, and he endured that. And uh, he had even joy as he was going to the cross. Now, it didn't make him happy. <laughs> he clearly had a joy that wasn't based on circumstances because the circumstances he's facing are the worst that this world could possibly offer. On top of the shame and the pain of the cross, the most agonizing part of it is, is that he's going to experience separation from the Father, something totally unnatural to, 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 to God. Uh, and yet, it, facing all of that, he has a joy. Because he sees past the cross, and he sees the other side. He sees the rest of the story, where he sees the innumerable number of people who are going to be set free from their sin and set free from their captivity to Satan by, 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 by virtue of the cross. And because he's remaining in God's love, he's filled with that love, he loves those people, desperately loves those people and wants them to be set free. And so in that sense, it gives him joy, this abiding joy, this well-being to go to the cross. And to put up with his shame and to put up with its pain, and even its God forsakenness, he's willing to do that out of love for the people who are going to be set free by this. Now notice this. When Jesus is looking at that cross, his vision doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop with the pain and the shame of the cross. If he had, he wouldn't have had any joy. If the story ended with him being crucified, it would be as happy as the story ending with Anna being frozen. Uh, Jesus doesn't stop there. His vision goes beyond that. The mental narrative, the movie, if you will, that he runs in his head as he's contemplating the cross, it doesn't stop with the cross and the pain and the shame. It goes on to the resurrection. And then it goes on to the multitude of people that are going to be set free. And so he sees that the story he's in isn't a tragic story. It's a glorious story. It's a happy story. And that's what gives him joy. And that's what motivates him to do it. He has faith in what's after the cross. And he sees that. And that motivates him to do what he's going to do and to do it with joy. And that, that, folks, is the joy that he gives his disciples. And so he tells them, yeah, the world's going to hate you. Um, you're not going to have your best life now. It's not going to go well for you. You're not going to just be kicking back and, and driving Rolls Royces and, and living in mansions and making a lot of money and getting fame. No, it, it's, 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 this is going to be a tough road to toe. And you're going to face persecution, and you're going to face hardship, and you're going to have beatings, and there's going to be suffering, and, and many of you are going to get executed and have to watch your loved ones get executed. The kind of things that would make most people very depressed if you knew that was coming down the line. And yet Jesus says, you can have the full measure of my joy as you're going through that. Why? Because his disciples saw what he saw. Their narrative, their mental narrative, the movie they're running, doesn't stop with the hardship and the pain and the imprisonments and the beatings and the crowds getting up on them and then the execution. It doesn't stop there. They know that they're part of an unending story, not a temporary story that ends with, with, with tragedy. And seeing that, they consider all of this worth it. They see the other side. They see the rest of the story, and that gives them joy. That's the joy that Jesus has, and that's the joy that he gives to us. The kind of things that the disciples saw on the other side of the pain, on the other side of tragedy, on the other side of this life, are things like this. Here's a few examples. In Ephesians 1, Paul says this. He set out, and this is the message translation here, he set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything 
We'd be brought together. Everything past, present, and future would be brought together and summed up in him, in Christ. Everything in the deepest heaven and everything on planet earth. There's coming a time, the long-range plan, the goal of the whole thing is to have everything in the cosmos, past, present, and future, summed up, harmonized, brought together under Christ. And then Colossians. See this, so spacious is Christ, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things and animals and even atoms, everything, excuse me, everything's going to get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. Can you get a picture of this, a vision of this? Because of the cross, it's bringing harmony to everything. God's bringing harmony. The love that was revealed on Calvary is unfreezing everything. It's fixing all that's broken, and it's putting in place all that's dislocated, past, present, and future. God is weaving together every experience throughout history into this marvelous tapestry that's going to glorify him because Christ is over all. And all of us, all who submit to him, are going to be part of this radiant tapestry. And, and it will all reflect the glory of God as, they, as it's put together in this vibrant, beautiful, magnificent harmony. Can you get a picture of this? Where God's love is defining everything and unfreezing everything and healing everything and fixing everything and locating everything in its proper place as he weaves it together this magnificent trophy of Christ. Can you see that beyond the pain and the shame and the problems and the tragedy of this world? And that is where our joy is located, knowing that this story that we're in now is not the whole story. In fact, it's just a little fragment of the beginning of the story. The story goes on a long, long time. It goes on, in fact, forever, and it's glorious. And then John says this in Revelation. This is the kind of thing that the disciples saw, which gave them joy, even though they faced incredible hardship. I heard a voice thunder from the throne. Look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. (laughs) We got a new residence, making his home with men and women. They're his people. He's their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes, praise God. Death is gone for good. Hallelujah. Tears are gone. Crying is gone. Pain is gone. All the first order of things, all the things in this fallen, broken, oppressed world are gone. The enthroned continued, look, I am making everything new. Here is a vision to lock in, folks. Can you envision the time when, when how the story ends? When every tear will be wiped away, and all sorrow will turn to joy, and all mourning will turn to laughter, and all grief will turn to dancing, and, and God is going to take up residence in this neighborhood. He will be all in all. He'll be our environment. He'll be the air we breathe. And his love will define every square inch of the cosmos and unfreeze you and unfreeze everyone and unfreeze everything, praise God, so that it will finally be the way God always intended it to be. Uh, folks, I, I, I don't know your immediate future. Um, I hope you have a really good life. I really do. Podcasters, I hope you have a wonderful life. Hope it goes well for you. But I can't promise you it will. Uh, it might, may, may go bad. You may get in a car crash on the way home. Sorry, it could happen. It, it happens to good people. It, it's a fallen world. We're in the middle of a war zone. Uh, you may end up in a wheelchair. Your kid may end up in a wheelchair. Uh, you, you, you may go blind. You may go deaf. You may, you may go mute, for all I know. May, maybe you're going to get dementia or something. Maybe you come down with lupus or cancer. 
or, or, or Bell's palsy or have a stroke and you know, have trouble talking the rest of your life. Or, or maybe, maybe you're going to go bankrupt and you're going to lose your house and you're going to lose your job. And, and maybe your spouse is going to walk out on you and take the dog with them. You know? Maybe your life's going to turn into one sad country western song. I hope not, probably not, but it might happen. It happens to some people. You know, freaky things happen, terrible things happen. I'm sorry, I wish I could tell you that you're immune from that, but you're not. And you're going to die. If Jesus doesn't come back, you're going to die. I hope it's a nice death, but it could be a very bad death. You know, maybe it's one of these torturous diseases where you're in pain for 10 years before you die or something like that. Hallelujah, it's a great day. Okay, look at the good news. The good news is not that, that you have an assurance that that's not going to happen. The good news is that I can tell you, you've got a glorious future. I don't know about your immediate future, but I, I, your, your long-term future is looking glorious. It's looking grand. It's looking wonderful. It's looking joyous. It couldn't be better. And, and all the nasty stuff that can happen to us. The good news about, about the hardships and the heartaches and the tragedies is that they only last a lifetime. And, and uh, this life is like a nanosecond compared to eternity. The good news is that you look, run the movie a little further. Don't, if you stop your movies at the worst case scenarios, you'll be depressed and full of fear. But you know the story doesn't end there. It goes on and on. And that's where it gets good and glorious. And somehow God can take all the nasty, ugly stuff and he, he weaves it into something beautiful. And, and it's going to be great. It's going to be harmonious. It's going to be glorifying. And, and then we'll see face to face and our joy will be complete. And folks, run your movie all the way to the end. Don't stop with Anna being frozen. That's very depressing. No, run it, run, run it to the end. And I don't know what's going to happen in America. Maybe you do, but I don't. Maybe it'll be great again, whatever that means. But, but you know, a lot of people are freaking out right about now. A lot of people are very, very, very nervous. And, you know, there's, there's some things to be nervous about. You know, Russia's flexing its muscle with shirtless Putin over there. And who knows what they're going to do? Heck, we may be Russian in 10 years. Wait, this is going. Who knows? Well, I, you know, there's a lot of unknown things there in, in Jin Kim Kim Un or Jin John Kim Un. I can't never get this right. The guy over there in North Korea, he with the nukes, the toddler with nukes over there. Yeah, he's he he he's flexing his muscle. Look what I can do. I can shoot a missile, and you know. Who knows where that's going to go? And China's always a wild card. And then you got the terrorists that are out there. And, and folks, sorry, I wish I could tell you, promise you that it's going to be different. But it may get worse before it gets better. It may get very bad. We don't know. We don't know. But I can tell you this. The long-range long future of this world is looking very, 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 very positive. Because it's all going to be unfrozen. And it's all going to get fixed. It's all going to get located. It's all going to be harmonious. It's going to be woven together in a beautiful tapestry. And God's love is going to define every square inch, every atom, every molecule, every subatomic particle. We defined by the love of God. He will be all in all. And we'll be dancing with him throughout eternity. Folks, I would be such a pessimist if this world was all there was. Really, I, I, I just naturally don't have hope or trust in anything in this world. And I'm glad I don't because that means all my trust is in Christ. And that trust is well-founded and it's glorious and it's good. So I'm an optimist. Absolute optimist. Amen. Amen. So where does your movie end? This is what it comes down. Where, where, where does your movie end? Where do your movies end? The truth is, though, most people don't realize that we are running movies in our head all the time. It's called thinking. Our brain just... As I mentioned last week, it's always churning stuff. It's always telling stories. We tell ourselves stories about ourselves and about God and about other people and about our experiences. It's how we interpret them. We give meaning to things. Right? So we're, we're, there's always a narrative going on. and We're just so used to it, we don't usually notice it. But it's there. We are movie producers. And these stories are told by representing things in our head uh, as, as we experience them. Pictures, we have soundtracks and movies going on in our head all the time. We're just so used to it, we don't know it. 
Here's the thing. Oh, today's message is brought to you by La Croix Water. This stuff is good. I, they should give me some kickback for the way I advertise it. Which means the cross, by the way, which is probably why it's my favorite water. So, so here's the thing. Neuroscience has, has now proven that all of our emotions are associated with the stories we tell ourselves. The stories that instinctively pop in our mind in response to the stimuli around us. All of our emotions. In fact, a little introspection can show you that. Um, our emotions aren't caused by things that happen outside of us. They're caused by the story we tell ourselves about the things that happen outside of us. Now, because people, most people don't, aren't aware that they're telling themselves stories, they just blame the thing outside of them, but they're actually doing something in their head that causes their emotional response. So, for example, take two people, two, two public people, and somebody publicly insults them. You are a stupid idiot. You don't know what's going on. You're ridiculous. Now, the one person, she just laughs it off. You know, she, she just means nothing to her, so she goes about her business. The other person, well, this guy has a meltdown. He goes nuclear. He just gets all enraged. He gets on Twitter and starts tweeting about this person, declaring war on them and trying to shame them. <laughs> same external event, very different responses. Why? Because it's the same, same insult, but different stories. This lady apparently would have, she's secure in her ego, and what a stranger says about her doesn't mean much of anything. So it just rolls off her back. This person clearly is it's caught in some story. Uh, he's an eight-year-old trying to score a touchdown for dad, and he, he's told that if he doesn't, he's going to be a loser. If he's not a winner, he's a loser. And so he's always trying to look good and impress people and, 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 and larger than life. And so an insult is catastrophic. It's apocalyptic. It's, 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 it's the end of the world. He's got to do something about it. The stories we tell ourselves, all of our emotions are associated with that. And see, that means that the stories we tell ourselves, the narratives we live in, they are the main determiner of the direction of our life and the main definer of the quality of our life. It's all stuff in, in our head. Now, here's the thing, because most people aren't aware of their, 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 their inner talk and, and their, their narratives, um, they assume that they're true. And most of the stories in our head are things that we just inherited from the world. Things that are said to us become things that we say in us, and it creates a narrative. And then we interpret the world through that lens. All of us are doing this. And they assume it's true. And if you assume it's true, then you're stuck in it. You inherit the story from the world, what was said to you, what was done to you, what happened to you, and, 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 and that now defines you, which means you are a footnote to everything else that poured into you. You're an extension of all those voices, all those actions, all those experiences. But see, folks, as, and, and see, this is what, what, what I, I found with, with depressed folks is this. Um, and I don't want to make this, I don't want to be simplistic about this. And I, there's, depression is a complex thing, and there's a lot of different causes for it. And sometimes it's, it's a chemical cause thing. And if that's the case with you, then by all means, look out, get medication that can possibly balance that, level the playing field for you. But one thing I found in, in common is this, and it applies just to our regular sadness as well. Their inner narratives tend to end on a bad note. They're frozen in the negative things that happen to them. And so they experience the emotion that they had when they were frozen, when that abuse happened, when the rape happened, when the insult happened, the teasing, the bullying, whatever it is, they lock those kind of things in, and it stops there. And as their brain just keeps on going over and over these narratives in response to things around them, uh, well, of course, they feel this incredible sadness about this. And they assume it's true, because most people do assume that those narratives are true. And so life becomes just a very sad thing, and they interpret everything else around them through the lens, through the grid of that, 
of those sad, sad narratives. But folks, we, we as, as disciples, we, we are to know, as I've shared the last two weeks, um, that, that not all the stories we inherited are altogether true, are they? A lot of the narratives we inherit from mom and dad and grandpa or the kid on the bus or the car wreck that went on or whatever, wherever it came from, a lot of those stories have, have, have messages that are not true. But our brain just internalizes it and just runs on it on autopilot. We are to know that we have authority over our think. We have authority over our narrative. We are movie producers. Everything that goes on in your brain is your doing. And you as a volitional agent have authority over that. You can change that. That's why the Bible tells us a number of times what to think about, which would make no sense at all if we didn't have power over what we think about. I proved it to you two weeks ago by having you imagine a yellow banana. Imagine that. You got it right now? Turn it green. Oh, look, at you can do that. You can turn it green. And now it turns into a pink banana with purple polka dots. Look at that. And now it turns into a pink polka dotted uh, butterfly and flies away. You have authority over your brain. You can tell it what to think. It's just that we don't, we exercise it so rarely, we forget that we have that authority. So we're trapped in it, trapped in the lies of the narratives that we tell ourselves. Uh, but folks, we have authority over it. We have responsibility over it. So Paul tells us, whatever is good and true and lovely and noble and right, think on those things. Put aside everything else. And it tells us in Romans 12, to be, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, the self that you inherited, the narratives that you inherited. Don't be conformed to that any longer, but rather you be transformed by you renewing your mind. You, you're the movie producer of your brain. You can quote me on that. You're the movie producer of your brain. And, 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 and it's, you have authority over what kind of narratives you're going to run. Or Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. He says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. No, never, never, never. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And he's talking about what's going on in our heads here. Strongholds are this, those narratives that have got deeply ingrained in us, and we assume they're true, and they, they, they're just there. They've got, they're strong. They define us. We demolish arguments. Or the word there could be just reasoning processes. And, we, and every pretension, that word's a strange word, but it means something that's concrete that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Like, imagine the, the pictures that you see, the soundtracks that you have, the, the things, whatever in your brain, uh, whether it's word or picture or whatever, it, it, it sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We come against that, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And what that's saying is we bring everything into the narrative of Christ. We bring everything into the narrative of God's always victorious love. Uh, and this is spiritual warfare, folks. You've got divine authority because what you're thinking here is true. You're bringing truth to your brain. Uh, you're taking the false narratives and you're replacing those with true narratives to bring everything captive to Christ, to be defined by Christ. This is part of what it means to be abiding in the always victorious love of God. You let that love the truth of God's love revealed on the cross and what it says about you, you let that define everything about you, including your thought, including the, 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 your self-talk, the stories you tell yourself. You bring it all in. And a central part of this means that we no longer are going to let our narrative stop with a negative. We're not, we're, we, we, we extend the narrative on and we get unfrozen. This is the process of letting the love of God, true love, unfreeze us. Uh, if you stop with the negative, you will be depressed. All the negative emotion you had when, when, when that happened to you, when you were, were rejected, when you didn't feel loved, when, 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 you, when the tragedy happened, all of that negative emotion is, is still there in your brain if you stop there. But as a follower of Jesus, you've got authority to tell your brain what is true and a responsibility to tell your brain what's true. And what is true is that that's not the whole story. 
It didn't end there. You're still alive. You're still here. And in fact, it goes on forever. And that's when it gets good. And this is going to be redeemed. I don't know how, and you don't know how. We don't need to know how. We just got to know that. God can redeem this. He'll bring good out of it. He's a master genius at this. And he's going to weave it all together in Christ and make everything harmonious. See that. Exercise faith in that. Don't get stuck where you are. It's not just believing that heaven's true. I assume most people in this room believe heaven's true. Podbrishners, do you believe heaven's true? Yes, even they believe it. But it's not about believing it. It's about having faith in it. Can you have faith in it? Now remember what faith is. Talked about this last week. Here's my paraphrase of Hebrews 11. Faith is a reality like vision, hypostasis in Greek, of what you hope for or anticipate or what you believe the future holds. That's elpizo. That creates the feeling that it is so, elegkos, even though you haven't experienced yet. This is faith. Okay, it's, it's seeing as a substantial reality. That's the story. That's the narrative. That's the movie. You make it real-like, in color, with motion. Um, and, and, and if that's what you believe, then you see it in faith, and that creates the feeling that it is so. Jesus saw the joy that was set before him. He, it was concrete to him. It was real. It wasn't just a theoretical belief. And that created in him this leg cost, this desire for it to be so, and that's what motivated him to go to the cross. He lived in the long story, not the short story. He lived in the eternal story of God's always victorious love, not in the short story of the crucifixion. So also, folks, a, part of being a, a, a central part of being a disciple of Jesus is to add the ending to every narrative in your brain. Whatever is in your brain telling you the, 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 the interpretive story that you've got, that's not the whole story. This is a fraction of the story. Our job is to put the ending on it. Don't stop with Anna being frozen. Keep the movie running. And watch how that changes your disposition. All of your emotions are associated with the stories that you're telling yourself in your brain. So maybe you're, you're stuck because you never felt loved by your parents, and that is sad, and, and, and now you're a depressed person because of that. That is sad. But, but don't stop the story there. That wasn't the end of the story. No, that was just a fraction of the beginning of the story. The story's going on. And, and so, and don't give your, your unloving parents the authority to define who you are. You're a child of God, and you're abiding in the love of God. That's to be your definition, not them. And so, run the movie on. Can you have faith that it won't be long before you'll be sitting on Abba Father's lap, and how your parents loved you or didn't love you won't matter a bit, not a bit. You won't ever think about it. And can you imagine the time when you're going to be just in the fullness of his love and surrounded by that, and, and, and surrounded by his joy, and surrounded by his peace, and enveloped in that? Can you get a vision of the ending of the story? Your, the, the rejection of your parents was part of the story, and God's going to bring good out of that. He's going to weave it all together. Can you move the story on and complete it? Maybe you're, you're, you're feeling depressed. Part of it is because you have some disability you're working with, a, a mental disability, OCD, or physical disability. And that is sad. In this fallen world, that can happen. But don't stop your movie there. That's not the ending. Uh, no, no. That's just for a lifetime. Uh, and, and lifetime is very short. Run the movie on. Can you get a concrete vision? Can you have faith that it won't be long before you'll be in the kingdom of God and you're going to be dancing with Jesus and doing cartwheels and your arms are going to work, your legs are going to work, your eyes are going to work, your brain's going to work, and everything's going to be the way it was supposed to be. And even the disability, God will somehow weave together into the glory of his, his, his glorious kingdom. Can you have faith in that? See that. Run the movie all the way. Let, see, let the love of God unfreeze you. By running a movie past the time when you're frozen. Maybe part of your depression is because of, uh, of, of abuse that you've suffered. Maybe it's because you've been a victim of racism all your life. Maybe it's just a 
the way people have always rejected you, and that's sad, and that's wrong. And do what you can about that here and now, of course. But most importantly, don't stop your movie there. Keep the reel going. Run the movie on. Bring, all you're doing is bringing your inner narrative into alignment with, 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 with the truth, and the, the truth of God's always victorious love, because you're abiding in that, and that's what's true. No, can you envision a time when all wounds are healed, when he's, he's wiped away every tear from your eye, and there's no more pain, and there's no more crying, and there's no more death, and there's no more abuse. Everything's been healed. All that's wrong has been made right. Uh, you've been restored, and, 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 and uh, even the negative stuff has been brought in and woven together into the glory of God. And can you envision a time uh, that, that where you see people from every tribe and every tongue, of every color, of every culture, of every ethnicity, brought together around the throne, worshiping God in glorious harmony. And where now the diversity of humanity is a positive rather than a negative, praise God. And where all that's racist and all that's wounding and all that's abusive is long in the past, and everything has been made new, and everything has been unfrozen, and everything has been fixed, and everything is in harmony. Can you get a vision of that? See it. Live in that. Enjoy that. Don't wait till you die to start enjoying heaven. Do it now. Because this, folks, is the joy of Jesus. He, gives to, uh, he sees it. He gives us to see it. So his joy becomes our joy. Everything depends on where you end your movie. Our job is to put the ending on to all those narratives in our head that end with uh, frozen failure, end with rejection, all those kind of things. Amen? Amen. Don't stop. Keep the reels running. Let me close with this three quick tips. No, they're assignments, not tips. These aren't suggestions. God's truth. Number one, exercise faith in God's, uh, in, in, in God's always victorious love. And that's just is spend time dreaming of the future, uh, running the movie on, the real future. Uh, don't let your narratives be defined by just this world. Go on. You know what's true. Now you got to have, you only cash in your chips as a child of God if you run the movie uh, concretely on into the victory where the story gets good and has a glorious ending. I, I, whenever I feel sad, I do this, and it, it changes my mood, like, immediately. It, 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 if you really see this, it can't help but make you happy. You can still be sorrowful about present circumstances. This isn't Pollyannaville, but there's a sense of well-being, knowing that it ends well. Uh, St. Teresa of Avila, this one saint, said this. She said, whatever will be well is well already. Now, that could be used in a Pollyanna way where we think we're always supposed to be happy, 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 and I can't stand that. Oh, everything's just lovely, and you just ignore the pain of the world. No, but, but it, it, it has a profound truth that knowing it ends gloriously can give you a sense of well-being now, right? You're, you're taking the victory of the future, and you're enjoying it now. Uh, spend time envisioning that. I'd like to put on music and just dream dreams of heaven. It's so fun to do. And, and here's the thing. I don't know what it's going to be like. No one does. It goes beyond our imagination. But you know this. However glorious you imagine it, it's infinitely better than that. So, so, so go ahead and dream the most glorious dream you can dream and know that at best you're just moving in the right direction, all right? It's going to outrun that, but do the best you can. Make it glorious. And I, it's just enjoyable to do that. I have reasons to believe it's true, so I'm going to bring my mind and my narratives into alignment with that. Spend time exercising faith in the always, glory, always victorious and always glorious love of God. That's part of what it means to abide in him. Number two. Uh, put remaining in God's love into practice. You know, Jesus, keeping his commands and abiding in his love are two sides of the same coin. If you're abiding in his love, re, living in his love, being filled with his love, it's going to overflow towards others. It's got to overflow towards others. And this is part of the joy. To the degree that we keep it bottled up, we're bottling up joy. There's joy in giving yourself away, in loving others the way Christ has loved you, because we're made in the image of the self-giving God. 
And so we're living out that image. We're most, our, our most authentic self, and we find congruity in ourselves when we're giving ourselves away. One of the best things you can do if you struggle with depression is to get out there and serve. This is God's Prozac. This is his, his Selexus. Uh, it, it's his happy pill, okay? Because uh, this is what you're created for. The worst thing you can do is sit at home, depressed, staring at your problems. Now get your mind off yourself and get it on other people. And what you find is that, you, you, you may find that, that other people have a lot worse than you, which itself brings relief to depression. But get out there and serve. You know, just find something to volunteer and you can help out our food shelf. We're always needing help here. Or volunteer at, at the refuge or, or, or Teresa's acting thing. Get out there and, and, and do that. I've got a million opportunities here. That, that Project Home will be coming next month. Uh, hang out with some homeless folks. It might make your problems seem relatively smaller, okay? Uh, uh, and, and, and so living in that is just a key to joy. Giving yourself away. And the third thing is don't do solo. Worst thing you can do, you know, when, when you're struggling with depression, you feel like the universe is closing, you're a black hole, and it's all just closing in and around you. Uh, getting out and serving is a cure for that. But being in community with others is a cure for that. We have a, at the refuge uh, a, a group here that it's called Heavy Heart. And I encourage you, if, if you have a heavy heart, uh, whether it's a temporary thing or whether it's a chronic thing, come and join this group. Uh, to be in community, people to talk to, people to help, help you shoulder what you're, you're, you're carrying uh, it is part of God's way of, of having us living in his joy, made full in us, the full measure of his joy. His heart's desire is for us to have joy, not necessarily happiness, which comes and goes, but to have this abiding well-being, knowing that we are remaining in the love of God that is always victorious, which makes us more than conquerors over every nasty, crappy thing that life sends our way. Amen? Amen. Would you stand? All right. Uh, if you're here this morning and have uh, any issue that you're struggling with, uh, it could use prayer, and we got, we'll have prayer teams up here by the stairs, and I encourage you to come up here and pray with these folks. Or if you're here this morning and you're not a sold-out follower of Jesus, uh, but there's something pulling at your heart. That's called the Holy Spirit. And I'd encourage you to yield to that pull and come up here and talk to these folks. And they'd love to explain to you what it is to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And you can start abiding in that love and therefore in that joy that we've been talking about this morning. As we leave here, can we do it with the people, as a people who are committed to surrendering all of our thoughts, all of our narratives, all of our stories over to the always victorious love of God, putting an eternal ending onto every thought we think. And it always ends well. Live in the joy of God. God bless you guys. Go out love on the world.